You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. All right, let's turn to John 6. We're going to read now in Scripture. Laura is going to come up and open God's Word with us, and if you would follow along, that'd be great. John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Thank you, Laura. Well, I want to begin our message this morning in a little different fashion. We lost a servant leader of this congregation who was here a few years ago. Bart Appleton passed away unexpectedly of natural causes just a little over a week ago, and his funeral was yesterday in Iowa. Bart and Mary had moved to Iowa due to a job change. I think it was late 2020 that they moved. And uh, while they were here, Bart served on our leadership team, and he and Mary were active with their Y group. And even though they'd moved, they actually came back last year and went on the Israel pilgrimage that about 30 of us were on. Uh, They loved this community and loved serving the Lord with us. And so I just thought we would pause and pray for Mary and pray for their family. Lord, we praise you for the life and memory of our brother in Christ, Bart Appleton, who is now at home in your presence. And from a distance, we just extend our hands over Mary and their children, young adult children, Luke, Leah, and Caleb. And we ask, Lord, for your peace that surpasses all human understanding, that you would be with them and near to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's where I was yesterday, was down at a funeral in Lake Mills, Iowa, not far over the border from Minnesota. Two other couples here from the Y Church were also there, and I was there at Mary's request to help with the service. And when I think about our table question today about serving, I was just honored to be there to serve Mary and her family. 
it was such a joy to be there even under really sorrow-filled circumstance. And as I was down there, my family was up here and was being loved on and served by somebody else, a man who I will begrudgingly allow to remain nameless from this congregation prepared supper for my family. So last night was covered. And in a text conversation, he checked in with us and he asked the question. And because I was thinking John 6, this question just, it was about the meal, but here's what he wrote. He said, how was the quantity? Was it enough? And I thought, what a relevant question for us today as we come to receive God's word. Because today, our passage in John 6 is about a meal that was provided and if there was enough. It's one of the more well-known Bible stories, I would say, out of the New Testament. Though in saying that, I recognize that probably every single Sunday we meet, we have people who are here who are hearing that particular Bible passage for the first time in their life. And I love that this is a place of discovery like that. I have no doubt that today there's somebody here who's hearing this story, the feeding of the 5,000 for the first time. And yet I also recognize for others, you're revisiting a story that's familiar and perhaps has captured your imagination since childhood. So whatever the case, this is a wonderful story, but one that is easily misunderstood. And I think this happens for a variety of reasons. For instance, we might think that the point of this story is just about this miraculous multiplication of the bread and fish to feed the crowd. Or an especially popular take would be to focus on this little boy with his lunch that he so kindly offers up to Jesus. A little boy with five loaves and two small fish. But either of those directions, just viewing the miracle at face value or having a focus on the boy that God used would be to woefully underestimate this passage. And so I want to tell you where we're going this morning at the outset. Often we'll save this kind of summary statement for the end as part of a way to wrap things up. But I'd like to just share it right off the top so that we know where we're headed. Here's what I think today is all about. That Jesus provides more than enough so we can see he is all that we need. Jesus provides more than enough so we can see he is all that we need. So yes, there's a miraculous sign at the center of this story. But its purpose is to point beyond itself to a greater spiritual truth. And yes, there is this boy whom God uses in a miraculous way. But nice as a kid as he may be, he's not the point either. And again, the point is that Jesus provides more than enough. So you and I can see that he is all that we really need. Remember why John builds his gospel around these seven signs. And I believe if my math is right, this is number four in the series. Remember what the intent is. But these are written, he's talking about these sign stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so that's why we don't want to just stop this morning and be inspired by this children's Bible story classic, The Multiplying of Bread and Fish. The real meaning behind it is to inspire you and I to believe, to trust that Jesus is who he said he is, and that in trusting yourself completely to him, 
you will get a whole lot more than just a full belly and a warm meal. You will have life that no earthly circumstance can touch. So let's look at the story. Jesus, we find at the opening of chapter 6, is traveling. It says sometime after this, uh, which means, by the way, there's a duration between chapter 5 and 6 of at least six months. Anywhere from six months to a year since chapter 5. Pastor Christian Huntley was with us last week as my family was traveling home from a road trip. And we got to tune in from the car. I kept my eyes on the road, but would glance over and such a ministry to be able to stay connected that way. And he opened up the word with us in chapter 5. We looked at the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So Jesus was down in Jerusalem for that. Now it's a half year or more later. And Jesus is back home in his home territory near the Sea of Galilee. Now when the text says that he crossed to the far side, that means he went from the west side of the lake, places like Capernaum, over to the eastern side. And all four Gospels tell this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And we know from the other accounts, make it a little bit more explicit, that Jesus and his disciples were needing some time away for a couple reasons. One, the disciples are just coming back from their missionary journey that Jesus sent them out on two by two. So they've been busy and they've been serving and traveling. As for Jesus, he has just received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. And uh, you might have your own experience of grieving a loss where you need to just get away, to spend some time alone, or to be just surrounded by the loved ones who are closest to you. That's what Jesus is thinking. And so he takes the twelve to the other side of the lake to rest. But look at verse 2. A great crowd of people followed him over. So much for the rest. And note why they followed him. It says, because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. So they've seen the signs and they've seen the miraculous and they want more of it. They want more of Jesus, but why is that? Because they want more of what he does. They want more miracles. People are getting healed. The word is spreading like wildfire. So much so that while Jesus took a boat to the other side of the lake, This huge group of people, these crowds, travel some nine miles around the north top end of the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus, to track him down, picking up more and more people as they go along. So we find Jesus there on a mountainside overlooking the lake with his disciples. Don't you just wish you were one of the twelve? And I don't suppose this was like a formal classroom kind of thing. This is a mountain retreat. And they're kind of spread out in the grass and maybe a couple of them chewing on stalks of grass and hands behind their heads, they're resting. But then the quiet getaway is over. And this huge throng of people is coming up the hill. And as the crowds arrive, Jesus asked the disciple Philip a question. He asked him in verse 5, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, why he asked Philip that question, we don't know. We do know Philip was from Bethsaida on the east side, so maybe he was familiar with the local bakeries and the stores where things could be bought. Or maybe it was very simple that Philip was just the one who was closest to him, so he asked him, where should we buy food for this group? The more important point comes in verse 6, where it says, 
He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I want to pause here and just ask you if you are aware of this, that as a follower of Jesus, did you know that God will, from time to time, lovingly test you? Is your theology big enough for the Lord to do that testing work in your life? You know, we pretty naturally will talk about God loving us and leading us and providing for us, all of which is true. But what about God testing us or chastising us or disciplining us? That is also true. And don't miss this, it equally flows out of his love as a parent raises a child. So you might be being tested right now. In some situation in your life, you might be being tested and it's right under your nose and you almost didn't recognize it. And yet Philip and Jesus maybe make us aware of that this morning. How might it change your perspective to recognize that God may be testing you in his love right now? He tested Philip and he did it with a question. He said, where should we buy the bread to feed these people? Now look at Philip. What does he do? Some of you are wired like this. He gets out his calculator. I don't know about you, but Siri does my math. I am not a math guy. And Tara does our math here. But some of you are wired like this. And he immediately gets to work and he pulls it out and he has this spiritual gift of mathematics, Philip does, and he's trying to calculate how much food they might need. The passage notes later, in later verse, that there are 5,000 men, and it's specifically the word men in the Greek, And Matthew adds in his telling of the story, yes, there are 5,000 men plus women and children beyond that number. So scholars say, you know, it's anybody's guess, but there could easily be 15,000 people filling that mountainside. And Philip is crunching the numbers. 15,000 people, 200 denarii, and finally he's got an answer. And he says, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough food For each one to have a bite. To have a bite is the word, not a meal. At the membership class after church today, we're going to have sub sandwiches. And I want you to imagine if we passed around a sub and all that you got was a bite. And then you had to pass it to your neighbor. I think our hospitality would be a little underwhelming. So Philip has honestly tried to solve for this math problem. But he throws up his hands and he says, we're going to spend a lot of money And all the people are going to get is one bite. In jumps Andrew. He's a problem solver. His specialty is not math. Those aren't the problems he solves, but he's a people person. If he had done the StrengthsFinder assessment, he would have individualization in his top five, I'm quite sure. And he spots this kid out in the crowd who has his sack lunch tucked under his arm. And he sees an opportunity. Somehow this boy was smart enough to plan ahead. Apparently nobody else did, but this kid did. Actually, we all know the truth. It was his mother who was smart enough to plan ahead. And Andrew says, Andrew the individualizer, he finds this kid and he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And this is one of those moments where you wish you could hear the tone of voice that Andrew uses when he says this. Because I wonder if he wasn't maybe laughing as he 
even proposed this option. Five little barley loaves. Barley was the bread of the poor, by the way. If you were wealthy, you had wheat. And two small fish, probably dried and preserved. My Norwegian relatives would like to think it was pickled. But whatever it was, it was a kid's lunch, and it was all that they had. But this is important. With Jesus, all that they had was enough. And in that sense, we don't want to miss what this little boy has to teach us. He didn't have much, but what he had was enough. One of the sayings that you'll hear nowadays in our culture and the world that you and I live in is, you are enough. You'll see it on sweatshirts and on coffee cups and on social media memes. You are enough. You are enough. Now, the first thing I want to comment on is it's important to consider why this resonates with so many. What has led so many people to feel that they are inadequate or lacking or to carry around such a sense of shame? These are pressing questions for our society. But we can also point out that this saying, you are enough, is not really that helpful to anybody at least not by itself. Because the truth is, and what Jesus makes so clear, and the Bible makes so clear, is that you are not enough. I'm not enough. Not on my own. Not apart from the saving work of God in my life. And it's precisely because of my lack, and because of my insufficiency, and the reality of sin in my life, that I have to avail myself on the all-sufficient saving power of Christ. You are enough is just wishful thinking if it denies my utter dependence on God. This boy in the story clearly does not have enough, not on human terms, but with God, all things are possible. Andrew's question, as we go back to the story, it goes unanswered. Jesus has heard everything he needs to hear. He says to his disciples, have the people sit down, and they do. And then in a foreshadowing of the Last Supper and the communion meal that we're going to enjoy in just a few minutes, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated, watch this, as much as they wanted. Remember Philip's math equation? He was just trying to figure out how they could possibly get a single bite to every attendee that was there and Jesus on the other hand he serves up an all-you-can-eat buffet and this contrast is here to show us the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus when he feeds people he feeds them abundantly they had everything they needed and more and this is made clear again in verse 12 when everyone had had their fill you've been to pizza ranch and you realize you're done. You've had like two pieces of cactus bread to top it all off. When everyone has had their fill, Jesus sends out his disciples to gather up leftovers and they fill 12 basketfuls. 12, a symbol of more than enough and yet also of Jesus restoring the 12 tribes of Israel. At least that's what scholars think is going on here. This number 12, Jesus is restoring the lost tribes of Israel. 
And for the people, they're gathered on the mountainside that day. They're drawing their own conclusions. In verse 14, they say to each other, Surely this is the prophet with a capital P who has come into the world. Which is a reference to Deuteronomy 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses. God is talking to Moses from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I've commanded. The people on the mountainside that day were saying, this is the prophet. Deuteronomy 18 is coming true. This is the new Moses. But not only did they have these accolades to give, but they have action to take. In verse 15, our last verse of the day, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself which is a little different than yesterday's coronation of King Charles. That was something. I don't know if you watched it live or you just saw the highlights, but he receives this enormous crown that is so heavy with jewels that you have to practice wearing it before the event. He catches a ride in a golden coach. What about King Jesus? He knows he's so popular they want to come and make him king by force and he withdraws to a mountain by himself. Do you want the kind of kingship that Jesus offers for your life? He is not doing miracles for show. He is not out there trying to woo the crowd. He did not come for some earthly coronation or to lead some kind of military campaign. No, he came, listen to this, he came to be the king and captain of your heart. To redeem your life, the psalmist says, from the pit, from hopelessness. To show you that you don't have to have enough. You never will. But that he will fill you up and more. Let me remind you of what we said this passage in John is all about today. Jesus provides more than enough so we can see. Let me make it personal so that you can see. He is all that I need. And I pray you would experience both ends of that statement. That in whatever concrete, physical way that you are lacking right now, whatever specific, tangible need that you have, whatever provision you are missing, that God would miraculously and abundantly provide it. And that His provision would point you in the direction of an even greater reality. That you would learn that all you really need is to be sustained by the presence of God. Psalm 63, a favorite of mine, says, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And David writes that when he's out on the run in the desert and there's no food in sight. Yesterday at a funeral in Iowa, we remembered a man whose earthly body no longer has any life in it. But make no mistake, 
that man is doing just fine. And if you were able to send him a text to heaven and you were texting and he said, is it enough? He would text you right back and he would say, oh yeah, it is more than enough. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we take you at your word. When you said later in this same chapter of John, I am the bread of life. And we ask that you would make us a people who are fully satisfied because we know this to be true. We ask, Lord, for daily bread and the provision that we need. But beyond anything else, we want to be nourished by you, by being and abiding with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.